I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. You know, um, this morning I'm, I'm not going to have a stand and read the scripture like we normally do because I'm, I'm actually going to teach a little bit more uh, on the scripture that we studied last week, which is Matthew chapter 22 verse 15 uh, through verse 22. You could open it in your Bibles. I, I encourage you to. If you don't have your uh, real Bible with you, um, you could use your phone. Totally fine for you to use your phone to read the Bible. Just make sure to turn off your ESPN notifications uh, this morning. Also, uh, one thing that we're wanting to do, I don't know if we, got, if we actually did it this morning, but in the future we'll have Bibles on the Connect table in the back for those of you who want um, your own Bible. But uh, <clears throat> I got the sense as I was preaching last week that uh, Jesus' teaching on uh, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's uh, was just a difficult word for us. I think I was realizing as I was giving it that it was a difficult word for me. And, um, you know, uh, I was just looking out and kind of, you know, believe it or not, I can kind of read your, your minds as I'm uh, teaching. Um, no, that's not true, but you know what I'm saying, right? You can sense a little bit of a disposition, and uh, I just realized, man, you know, this is just a, it's a difficult word for us, and it's, it's really laced in our current culture, is it not? Especially this idea like giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. I think we know as, as God-fearing people that giving to God what is God's, of course, that's why we're here, right? Um, anyway, so it's a difficult word for us. If you, uh, if you weren't here last week, you, just, you could go to our podcast and listen um, to uh, the message. But um, yeah, I just think, you know, some of Jesus' teachings are really difficult in our current culture. Or, or maybe it's just that I wasn't very clear last week. That could have also been it. Um, I, I did, uh, you know, sometimes as a preacher, you want to give a lot of application, right? This is the word of the Lord, and this is how you should do it in your own life. I'll be honest, I felt a little bit like, uh, like hesitant to give a ton of practical application last week. I was hoping to provoke. Maybe you felt provoked. <laughs> sometimes that's, a, that's helpful. Sometimes it's not that helpful. I apologize if I left you provoked uh, last week. Uh, but anyway, something just wasn't sitting with me right, and so uh, this morning I wanted to go a little bit deeper, a little bit further, um, and I was wondering, you guys are already smiling a little bit, so this is a good start. It, it can be hard to smile when we talk about difficult things like this, you know, and I don't even know the story that you bring into this conversation this morning, but it's possible that some of us have had really hard conversations online or lost friends or even ruined Thanksgiving dinner with conversations about politics and government and all that sort of thing. So if we could just take a deep breath and acknowledge that this is kind of a hard topic right now. 
And uh, I'm not here this morning to give you political advice. I would be a bad person to come to for uh, political advice. But I'm here this morning to lead us into Jesus' advice. And that will be my aim, uh, come hook or come crook, to lead us towards the teachings of Jesus. But I hope this morning to be able to offer you just a little bit more uh, application. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a phrase, um, I don't know if any of you are John Wooden fans, or, or maybe you've heard of John Wooden. John Wooden is known as perhaps the greatest uh, coach in American team sports history. I'm a USC fan, so I do not believe that about John Wooden, the Wizard of Westwood, UCLA Bruins fame. But John Wooden said that you haven't taught until the students have learned. You haven't taught until the students have learned. I thought about Catalina Watson, Mrs. Watson. She's not here this morning, but Kat is a really loved uh, teacher at Wilson, and she teaches math. And I thought, you know, Kat would know that you, you cannot teach algebra to your students if they've not mastered arithmetic. And so I thought this morning, why would we move on? There's something in my heart that didn't feel like it was settled. And so I wanted to go again uh, this morning, um, not, on a, not really uh, on a different uh, passage, although there's other passages in Scripture, uh, but hopefully to make things more clear. And so uh, for the sake of being uber clear this morning, um, I want to list three things that I want us to be able to apply by the end of today's message. So the first thing is that there's some things that we need to obey. We could probably all agree there's some things in this world, in our culture, under our government, there's some things that we need to obey. Who's here for law-abiding citizens, right? There's some things we need to obey. And then uh, the second point is that there's also some things that we need to pray for discernment about. There's some things we need to obey, and there's, others, some, there's some other things that we need to pray for discernment in relation to living under any government that we put ourselves under. And then thirdly, there's some things we need to convey with the way we do what we do under whatever authority we've been put in. So we're going to talk about some things that we need to obey, some things that we need to pray, and then some things that we need to convey in order to live godly lives, as Peter calls the people foreigners and exiles, ambassadors for Christ in a pagan land. <clears throat> so first off, the teaching in Matthew 15, or I'm sorry, Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22, the first and major teaching is to obey God and Caesar. Last week you heard me preach that we're called to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and submit ourselves to the ruling authorities that God has put in place. But remember, not only are we called to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we are called to give to God what is God's. Our ultimate obedience is not to Caesar. Our ultimate obedience is to God. This is first and foremost. I mean, why would we even consider living obedient lives? But because before we're submitted to any authority, 
We've submitted ourselves to the one authority and to the, the holy book that he's left for us, the authority of Scripture, God's will, will God's will, God's will revealed to us in his word. And what does Scripture say? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, remember the context that Peter is speaking into. The Apostle Peter is speaking to a bunch of Christians living under Roman rule. The name of the Roman emperor at that time was a man named Nero. Has anyone ever heard of Nero? Nero is famous for starting a fire in Rome, burning down the city, and then blaming Christians for the fire and burning Christians at the stake for being Christians. This is the emperor that Peter is calling the people of God to submit themselves to. I, I say this as a way of saying no matter how bad we can think that our current governing authorities are, Peter was right there in a similar context, probably worse, unless any of you have been burned at the stake. So Peter is not talking to a people in a time and place when the leadership was easy to submit to. Peter is talking to a people, the people of God, in a time of place where the leadership was really hard to submit to. So what does Peter instruct the people to do? First and foremost, live godly lives. First and foremost, his call to Christians in this really difficult context where they're facing all kinds of persecution and attack is to live godly lives. Exeter Valley Church, my charge to you this morning, is to live godly lives. Verse 16, I, I love the NLT translation on this one. Verse 16, this is First this is Peter 2, verse 16. He says, for you are free. We like freedom, don't we? Americans like freedom. He says, you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Peter's admonition is to live godly lives, even under the rule <clears throat> of a really bad pagan emperor. You know, and, and like I said, as Americans, we hold our freedoms tightly, do we not? I, I think we celebrate once a year our freedoms. We light off huge fireworks into the sky. To be free is like a core American trait. And I think it's a core trait of the gospel. We've been set free. Peter doesn't deny our freedom. He says, yet you are slaves to God. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we give to God what is God's. So Peter challenges us not to use our freedom as an excuse for doing evil. This is something that we really need to pay attention to. Don't use your freedom as an excuse for doing evil. We've got to live godly lives. After all, the laws of the land are, are never our ultimate authority. It's not to Caesar that we're first and foremost under. 
allegiant to, our primary allegiance at the end of the day is to God. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we give to God what is God's. So we do our best to obey the laws of the land and to live godly lives. This is important. Living godly lives is really important in a pagan culture. What's the testimony of your obedience? Ever met somebody who was yelling and screaming about the government and how bad the government was? But if you looked at their life, it was like, man, I don't know if that's an exemplary life. Peter says, first and foremost, live godly lives. What a testimony to live godly lives in a pagan culture. We underestimate the power of living a godly life in a pagan culture. Sometimes we are more excited about making noise, about bashing whoever's in charge, than we are excited about our own obedience and submission to God's ways. What if we took living godly lives more seriously than we took our political opinions? Just a question. But what happens, and this is the sticking point, like what happens when this government asks us to do things that are ungodly, right? Is this not the sticking point that we find ourselves in? So certainly we're going to obey as long as the laws of the land are godly and fit with a Christian ethic. That's kind of easy. Is it not kind of Christian 101? Like you showed up to church this morning and the first thing I gave you was to live a godly life. Probably any of you could have said that this morning. It doesn't take the anointing of God to get to that point. But what happens when government asks us, not just the things that belong to Caesar, but what happens when the government, what happens when Caesar is asking for the things that belong to God? This brings me to point two. <laughs> and this is where we need to pray. First, we obey. And then we pray for discernment and for courage. I want to take a look a little bit, and we could, I mean, if you guys have time, you should have time. Make time, especially if you really, like, if you feel provoked in regards to this issue. Go read the story of Daniel, Old Testament character Daniel. It's about this man who was one of God's people, and uh, during the exile of the Israelites in Babylon, <clears throat> excuse me, he lives under Babylonian rule. Um, I would highly encourage you guys to read about the life of Daniel, but I'll give you a little bit of an overview. See, Jan Daniel was chosen as an advisor to the king of Babylon. Maybe you've heard of King Nebuchadnezzar. These names start to get really hard to say in this particular section of the Old Testament. So Daniel was a Jew living in Babylon under pagan rule. And because of his virtue, because of his intellect, because of his physical capabilities, and even his appearance, he was chosen as an advisor to the king of Babylon. This is an interesting uh, note in the story. Daniel received the training of the king's palace. I teach in public education, and public education has drawn quite a bit of scorn. And a lot of us are worried about public ed education, right? Daniel was educated by the Babylonians. Crazy side note in this story. And yet he remains faithful to God. He actually rises in power in the Babylonian kingdom. This is incredible. You want to know how to live in a, in a counter 
Christian culture, in a culture that's oppositional to Christianity, if you want to live like Daniel, you live an excellent life and God blesses you with favor. You rise up. This is a good thing. Do we not need Christians that rise up in the secular institutions of our day? Yes, I'll answer my own question. We do need that. And so Daniel, he rises to power in the king's court because he, he excelled in every way. He was just like one of the best of the best. So this is Daniel. Does he agree? Does he believe in the same things that the pagan king of Babylon believes in? No, not at all. But does he just quit on the job? Does he just flunk the job? No, he excels in the job that he's been given. He even learns all there is to learn about Babylonian culture. He made himself so valuable in the service to the pagan king that the, the story goes that, that eventually the king is asking Daniel to interpret the dreams that he's having. Just by living a godly life, Daniel gets himself up into the point of influence where the king's coming to him. Tell me what these dreams mean. It would seem that Daniel was one of the king's top advisors. Would it not be a good thing for a governor to have a Christian advisor, a godly advisor like Daniel? How subversive is this? Do you see what I'm saying? Of course, there's this one part in the story where the king goes too far. And the king asks for Daniel's worship. A decree is put out that all will worship King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, at this point, can Daniel continue to obey? No. No. The line has to be drawn at this point. And Daniel decides, I will not bow. And he continues to pray to the God to whom he had consecrated himself. So he refuses to worship the king. This is Daniel chapter 6. Let's read. It's Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says that when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men who conspired against him, they went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What does Daniel do when things get tough, when the king asks for his allegiance? He prays. He thanks God and he asks God for help. This is a great example of how we can live under a pagan authority. We can pray for discernment and courage. Look, uh, what are you being called into discernment about. I don't know, like part of the reason I hesitated to give you practical application is that I don't know exactly in your spot where you're being challenged over this issue of submitting to Caesar, giving Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, I teach in a public school. I got my own version. Some of you also teach in a public school. You've got your own version. Some of you work for a government authority and maybe you've dealt with some mandates over the past years and you're trying to wrestle with. I had a friend who asked me a couple months back in June, the month of June, she works at Starbucks and she said, what do I do? I'm a manager here. The Starbucks agenda wanted to celebrate Pride Month 
and she was asking, how do I live as a Christian? You get what I'm saying? I think we all have these areas in our lives, and I think we've been entrusted with those specific issues, and I think our step here is to pray for discernment and courage. See, but, but some of us, like, our first step isn't like Daniel to get on our knees, or sometimes all of us struggle to take that first step. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of us have, have spent more time with Joe Rogan or, or Jordan Peterson than we have with our Bibles. We've got a whole culture of men who believe in the religion of Roganism. You get what I'm saying? And, and I occasionally listen to Joe Rogan. But man, Daniel got on his knees before the living God. He thanked God and he asked God for help. Oh, that we would be a people who, when met with these difficult situations, get on our knees and ask the Lord for discernment and courage. Discernment, wisdom in knowing where to take a stand. And courage to actually be able to take it. It can be tough to take a stand. We've got to have godly courage to stand against ungodliness, just like Daniel. But, but we also have to be careful. And this would just be a caution. We have to be careful not to conflate the secular with the sacred. Like sometimes we make things that aren't God things into God things. One of the main take-homes of Jesus' famous phrase is that our life under God and our life under government are separate. This is actually one of the great wisdoms, I believe, in the American Constitution, the separation of church and state. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. It operates on a whole other level. I think last week I said like God's ways are like playing chess while the rest of us, the kingdoms of the world, are playing checkers. It's on a whole different level. It reigns over all. God's kingdom appoints all authority. We've got to be careful not to conflate the secular with the sacred. I think one of the things that's happened a bit in American politics is we have conflated. That's a fancy word for combined. Sorry, every now and again I try to act smart. We've combined at times faith with politics, and we've gotten a little mixed up at times. I don't know if any of you know someone who's gotten a little bit mixed up. It's like, are you reading your Bible or the American Constitution with your cup of coffee. Anyways, God's kingdom is, is not an earthly kingdom that sits opposed to our evil earthly kingdoms and their rulers. God's kingdom is above them all. His kingdom supersedes. It transcends the kingdoms of this world. So maybe God's calling you to take a stand, and I believe that he's calling some of us to take a stand. Or should I say, I, I believe he's calling all of us to take a stand in unique ways. But I don't know exactly what the specific stand might be, so I would encourage you to come to the Lord for discernment. Daniel prayed for help. One of the things that's great about the country that we live in is we have two real weapons. Even while we live under whatever type of authority we're living under at the time, we have free speech, sort of, still. 
None of my sermons have been taken off of YouTube, so that's good so far. But we can also, we also have the opportunity to participate, right? We get to elect our leaders. We should be thankful for that. I don't know that Daniel really had that option, did he? So there is something that we can do because we live in a democracy. But whatever stand we take, we must just make sure and remember the caution that we're giving to God what is God's. We can't mistake the secular with the sacred and get caught fighting battles that aren't ours to fight. Look, Daniel was asked to worship a pagan king, and he chose to pray to the God of Israel instead. There's, there's another version of this same act in, in Acts chapter 5. I quoted this last week. The disciples are out preaching the gospel. They're out preaching the good news of Jesus, and the leaders, the civic leaders did not like it, and they threatened to throw them in jail if they continued to preach. And what did they say? Well, sorry, too bad, so sad. We have to obey God's command to preach the gospel, and we'll obey God over man any day of the week. But hey, just a, just a question for you, and not a, not a statement, but a question. Are we not at sometimes putting other things on the, that, that aren't the same, on the same level as the things of God? I think sometimes we're combining the secular and the sacred, and I pray that we would have discernment. And I invite you to pray that you'd have discernment as you choose how to give to God what is God's as you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And whatever you decide, your version of keeping from Caesar that which belongs to God, I know one thing that we all have in common. I don't know your specific situation. I don't exactly know the specific call that God's put on your life. We're not all like Daniel living high up in a kingdom but one thing I do know we all have in common is this. We've been called to convey respect and honor. Look, how we do what we do is as important as that we do what we do. Peter says it this way, verse 17. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Honor the man that burned your father or your mother or your grandpa or your aunt. This is what Peter's saying. You honor that man. Yeah, those are really hard words. Those are really hard words. Convey respect and honor. And, and I know this is a mind bomb. I mean, listen, this is the fact. Even when we disagree, we can treat our authorities with honor. And it's godly to do so. And if we look at the story of Daniel, I believe it's effective to do so. You want to make a difference? Live like Daniel. Convey honor and respect. Question for you. Question for us. Is our attitude toward the authority that we oppose, marked by Jesus' teaching on loving our enemy, are we loving our enemy? I'm going to give a, an example that, that um, I've seen. Like, for example, maybe some of you are familiar with the phrase, let's go, Brandon. Have you heard that phrase? It's become a bit of a conservative rallying cry. Like the same meetings where there's like prayer, we hear like this phrase. And you know, it doesn't mean let's go, Brandon. 
right? This is a derogatory phrase aimed at our president, Joe Biden. And then, and then you, go on, you go on social media and you see Christians posting memes of Joe Biden tripping or mumbling, making fun of him, mocking him. Remember that this was not the way Jesus responded. Jesus, like find a place in scripture where Jesus is on record mocking, you know, Herod or whoever other leader was in charge. Who did Jesus mock? Jesus mocked religious leaders that were acting like hypocrites. That's who Jesus came after with his harshest words. So it just challenged us, convey respect and honor Our witness is worn out when we get on social media, when we like put bumper stickers on our cars that do not convey respect and honor. Remember, we're Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ to the world. The way we do what we do is just as important. I know I see sometimes calls for our country to return to its Christian roots. Anybody ever seen or, or familiarized themselves with that phrase? We need to get back to our Christian roots, all the while chanting, let's go, Brandon, posting memes on social media that make fun of our president. Well, maybe we should return to our Christian roots. Which brings me to my last point and our call to a corporate time of response. That means I'm almost done. A page and a half left, almost done. All this talk about, maybe you've heard this phrase, and I'm not just pointing fingers. I'm certainly not picking on just Trump, but you know the phrase, make America great again. Um, This phrase maybe has us a little confused about the aiming point. And and I'm not trying to pick on Trump at all. Actually, that's a killer slogan. And the red hats were awesome. Really awesome red hats. It's amazing that an old man won an election with some old hats and a cool slogan. Anyways, that's a side point. That was me stepping away from scripture. (laughs) So I'm not talking about just Trump. I'm talking about any leader. And what I want to do is come after this idea that if things would just get back to normal... Like maybe you heard it during the pandemic, you know, like when are things going to be back to normal? When are things going to get back to normal? I think I heard it like a million times, you know. We just got to get, we got to get things back to the way they used to be. We've said things like we've lost our way that imply that we once had our way. We've lost sight of the Constitution. I've heard that one before. The Constitution that our forefathers set in place. I've heard we need a return to the America that was God-fearing and great, which is a pretty noble idea. One nation under God. I'm just not sure that it's ever been true. Look, what we need in our country is not a return to the past. 
what we need in our country, what we need in our churches, what you need in your heart is a return to the Lord. And I'm not sure why I'm so emotional. Don't laugh at me. Stop it. Stop it. I'm crying. I just feel like I've seen some of us fall off the horse a little bit. Look, what we need is revival. This is what we need. We need not to return to the good old days. We need to return to the Lord. We actually need God to do in this country what he's been doing across the globe. We tend to think that Christianity is dying because it's dying in America, but that is not the truth. Christianity, by the stats, look at the Pew Research, is growing worldwide. In the southern hemisphere, there's an explosion of faith. There's over 1% growth worldwide. Over the past four decades, Christianity has grown faster in China than anywhere in the world. Maybe you're familiar with China's leaders. Not exactly a godly country. And yet, the gospel goes on. The gospel of Jesus is not dying, folks. We don't just need a return to normal. We need a return to the Lord. All of us need a return to the Lord. I need a return to the Lord. Hosea 6, that's where we get that phrase. I'm going to read it in just a second. Look, the goal ain't the glory days. The goal is the day of glory. Which brings me to a Christmas passage. Because, well, Costco already did it, so I can start the Christmas season, can't I? Doggone it, Costco. By the time I get around to Christmas shopping, it's already gone. Uh, For unto us a child is born. You've heard this one before. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Mighty Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did I miss any from memory? The greatness of his government and his peace will have no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Look, the Son of God came, Jesus came, to put the government on his shoulders. If we're putting our hope in government, we're going to be disappointed. Let's put our hope in the Son of God, who will one day completely put the governments of the world on his shoulders. This morning, I wanted to invite you to a return. Not a return to the ways things used to be, as I've already said, but a return into the Lord, a a revival marked by repentance. I wanted to share with you that uh, last night, I got a text. Um from a pastor friend in town. He, he pastors a church in Exeter. And a lot of the Exeter pastors are really nice men, by the way. Been really kind to me. And they pray for our church. 
which always really inspires me. Allie's grandpa is one of them. That guy's super funny and kind. This was another pastor that sent me a text about a dream he had. He said, Noel, I, I had a dream, and uh, I wanted to share the dream with you. He's like, I know it's kind of crazy, but I had this dream, and when I woke up, I asked the Lord, what was that dream about? And he said, Exeter Valley Church. So here we go. I want this dream to be real, so I'm going to share it with you today. He had this dream about an event called a super bloom. Anyone familiar with the idea of a super bloom? Like in Death Valley, every number of years, they have these events where they, ha- they call them super blooms because all the wildflowers just go crazy. Like all the, all the variables are just right. And the wildflowers just like, Phew! super bloom. That sounds awesome. Super bloom. And this friend of mine, he said, I feel like Exeter Valley Church, and what God is telling me in this dream is that there's a super bloom that's about to happen at Exeter Valley Church. And, you know, when we started this church, we were, we were contending for a, a prophetic picture of God's spirit being poured out over our community, like as if the water tower had just bursted from the bottom and flooded our streets. When there's seasons of a lot of rain, and just the right amount of sun, these super blooms can happen even in the valley of death, death valley. Man, I want a super bloom to happen here in Exeter. I hope he's right. I hope this is God's word for us. I believe this is God's best for us. Dear God, make it so. Can we shake our heads to that? You know, um, Exeter, uh, Exeter, California is named after Exeter, England. Did you know that? Exeter, England was a town in England who at one point was known for its cathedral and for its church culture. And I believe that that's what God wants to do here. I think he wants to make Exeter, California a city known for its church culture. And this, this vision extends beyond the walls. It's not just about Exeter Valley Church. We don't do it bigger or better than anybody else. We're just trying to be faithful. Any church that confesses Christ as Lord throughout our community, oh, would we have a super bloom? I text back this pastor and I said, let it be so and let it not stop here. There's been a real resurgence in the minister association in this past year. People are coming together, it seems, in ways that are like, not like they were a year ago. And I just feel like God is on the move. I think God has been wanting to do a new thing in our community. And so we're believing that Exeter would not be merely a city full of churches but rather a city of full churches. That even in a valley that feels like death, God would allow us to be a part of a super bloom here in this time and place. I know, we've got small dreams, don't we? But we believe that what God's doing here at Exeter Valley Church is what he wants to do in all of our churches in Exeter. I mean, 
we're a chosen people. He calls us a royal priesthood. He says he's made us the people of God by faith in Jesus into a holy nation, a nation that transcends all other nations with Jesus Christ as Lord. He's a good king. This is good news. The one king that sits above it all is a good king. You don't have to worry about following his authority. He'll lead you into green pastures beside still waters. He'll lead you into his rest. He'll lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll comfort you. We serve a good king that sits above all other kings. We sang about the king of kings this morning. This is what we've come to put our faith in this morning. I thank God that my faith does not rest on the guy in charge of this country or any other country. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor. What a great name. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. And of his greatness and of his government and peace, there will be no end. Look, this morning, I want to invite us to return to the Lord. And maybe you've put your hope in government. Maybe you've lost your hope in government. Maybe you've lost your hope because of government. Maybe you've lost your way and become your own government. Maybe you've become so ticked off and jaded with the government that you need to repent. I don't know. I don't know. But as we close, I want to read the words of Hosea 6. Eric, would you come? Hosea 6 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Let's pray. Hey, we're so glad you joined us, but don't forget to stay connected, either through our website, our social media, or the Church Center app. Or you know what? Better yet, come join us in person on a Sunday morning. See you soon.